Well, today is the final message in the Great Storyteller series. That is our series on the parables of Jesus. Uh, As we end this summer series, we've got one more parable we want to focus on. During His earthly ministry, Jesus used about 30 different stories or 30 different parables as He was teaching for those three years. Uh, Those stories or those parables are found in the books, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, let me remind you what we've talked about over this past summer regarding parables. Each Sunday, I try to teach you a little something different or addition about parables. And so, over the summer, we've learned that, first of all, that a parable is simply a story with a point or a story with a lesson. In general, most parables, not all, but most, have one central truth. That is, there was one thing Jesus wanted them to learn. One thing Jesus wanted them to remember. One life lesson, if you will, about the kingdom of God. That was the the purpose behind the parables. And we told you also that the Greek word for parable is parabole. And it means to place one thing beside another. And it really has the idea of comparison. That a parable begins with what a person does understand in order to teach them what they need to understand. And it's often a comparison to show them what they need to understand. Or someone described a parable this way, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. In this last message of the series, I thought it would be appropriate to look at one of the stories that Jesus told about the last days or the end times. If you want to open your Bibles, that's what we're going to be looking at today. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, Jesus actually told three different stories, three different parables about the last days or the end times. And I'll give you the context of that in just a moment. Matthew chapter 25 will be our text. Now just like last Sunday, the parable that we're looking at today really is part of a longer conversation. And if you're going to see the entire conversation, you need to go back to Matthew chapter 24 because that's where the conversation began. And so let's read Matthew chapter 24, uh, verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when His disciples came up to Him to call His attention to its buildings. First of all, let me give you the time sequence of when all of this was occurring. This was in His final week, right before His arrest and His crucifixion. A mere two or three days before His arrest and crucifixion. And the Bible says, Jesus left the temple. There's something symbolic about that. We don't have time to get into that. But for His final time, Jesus left the temple. And as He walked out of the temple, walking around the temple complex, if you will, what's called the Temple Mount, the disciples were awestruck by the buildings, by the site. What you're seeing on the screen right now is just, of course, a model uh, of what that would have looked like. But you can imagine the grandeur and the size and the majesty of it all. So as he's leaving the temple on that final week, his disciples call his attention to its buildings. Jesus then says to them something very interesting in verse 2. Jesus says, do you see all these things? Uh, motioning, I'm sure, to all of the temple mount, the temple and all of its surrounding buildings. Do you see all of these things, he said? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. They must have been thunderstruck at what they just heard. Uh, Guys, there's coming a day when not one stone that you see here, including the temple, there's coming a day when not one stone will be standing on another stone. They're all going to be torn down. And side note, that actually happened in A.D. 70. 
when the Romans came and attacked the city of Jerusalem, they destroyed the city of Jerusalem, and they destroyed the entire temple, the temple mount, and everything about it. In fact, in 1968, archaeologists came in, and they were excavating around the temple mount, and they saw all of these rubble, this rubble of stones, and that was from AD 70. I've seen those stones, they're still there today, at the base of the temple mount. Uh, the Romans destroyed it all and pushed it over the temple mount. So, the disciples, of course, didn't know about AD 70. All they heard was, there's coming a day when all of this will be gone. There's coming a day when all of this will be destroyed. There's coming a day when not one stone will be left standing on another. It really got their attention, and I imagine they were looking at each other like, what is he talking about? And so, eventually, they they leave the Temple Mount area, and they walk over to the Mount of Olives, and where Jesus sat down, probably looking at the city of Jerusalem. This is a picture I took one time while in Israel. I took the picture from the Mount of Olives, looking over into the city of Jerusalem. It's the Kidron Valley that separates the Mount of Olives from the city of Jerusalem. So you can see how close those two are. Now, the gold dome that you see in this picture is the Dome of the Rock, which is a Muslim building now. But that's standing approximately where the temple used to stand. So where you see that golden dome, that's where the temple, that's the temple mount area. It is on the temple mount, the uh, the dome of the rock is. It's on the temple mount and that's the approximate area of where the temple itself used to stand. So Jesus, if he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, looking at Jerusalem, this was somewhat of the view that he would have seen. And where you see the gold dome, that's where the temple would would have been. And the disciples are still trying to understand what he said when they were on the Temple Mount. They're still trying to get their mind around what he said, so they come to Jesus with a question. And it really is a two-part question. It's in verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Interesting question that they ask. Because Jesus said, there's coming a time when all of this will be destroyed. They then took it a step further and said, okay, i got a question for you. Actually, it's two questions. First, when will this happen? And also, what will be the sign that you are returning? He hadn't said anything about returning. He had said the temple would be destroyed. But in their mind, they understood what that meant. And so they said, well, we've got a question. When will this happen? And what will be the sign that this is about to happen? So it's interesting, Jesus answers their question, but he starts with the second question first. So in chapter 24, Matthew chapter 24, almost the entire chapter is is devoted to sharing some of the signs that the disciples could look for that would show the return of Jesus. As they're waiting for the end times, Jesus said, here are the signs you can look for. Verses 4 through 35, Jesus lists for us the signs of His coming. Uh, so that was, the, that was the second question. What would be the sign? Then the when question. When will this happen? Well, regarding the when question, it's interesting, Jesus did not give them a date on the calendar. He just basically said, you need to assume that it could happen right now. Look how he says in verse 36. Chapter 24, verse 36. He says, no one knows about that day. If you want to know about the when, no one knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven, 
nor the Son. That is, Jesus said, I don't even know. But only the Father. So the question is, when will this happen? And Jesus said, here's the answer. No one knows. Then He follows that up with another similar statement. Look down in verse 42. Verse 42. Therefore, because no one knows. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know the when of when I will return. So, that's Matthew chapter 24. Now we're coming into Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew 25, Jesus taught three parables to His disciples to answer these questions. When will this happen? What will be the sign? What will it be like? So in Matthew 25, Jesus taught three parables to help His disciples understand the end times and to prepare for His return. Let me say that one more time. Three parables in Matthew 25. His final three parables are about the end times to help them understand what it will be like at the end times, and more importantly, to prepare them for His return. So what we're going to do today is go to Matthew chapter 25. We're just going to look at one of those three parables, the first one. It is called the parable of the ten virgins. The ten virgins were unmarried bridesmaids who were invited to participate in an upcoming wedding. So here's what we read. This is the parable. Let's just read it. Follow along as I read. Matthew 25 verse 1. At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. In other words, the foolish ones just took the lamps with oil in the lamps, but the wise ones took the lamps and an extra jar of oil along with them. All right, keep reading. Verse 5, the bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all began to become drowsy and fell asleep. Verse 6, at midnight the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the when. Remember, that was the original question. When will this happen? And Jesus tells us the parable of the ten virgins, and he ended it by saying, You don't know the when. Therefore, you need to keep watch. That's the one point of this parable. That's the one life lesson from this parable about the kingdom of God. And here it is. Look at it on the screen. Look at this lesson. Only those who are ready for Jesus' return will enter the kingdom of God. That's really the thrust of the whole story. If you boil the story down to one point, it's that one. Only those who are ready for for Jesus' return 
will enter the kingdom of God. And the kicker is, of course, you and I have no idea when that is. So to show the importance of getting ready, of being prepared, Jesus tells us this story about ten young virgins who were going to a wedding. Now, we had a wedding recently in the Shorter household, a beautiful wedding. Our son Jonathan married his beautiful bride, Amanda. And it was a wonderful day for all of us. And then they went off after the the wedding and the reception. They went off for a honeymoon in Cancun for a week. Uh, But the Jewish wedding was very different from Jonathan and Amanda's wedding. In the Jewish culture, on the wedding day, the bridegroom went to the bride's house for the marriage ceremony. Alright, so get that in your mind, first of all. You're going to your fiancé's house, your future bride's house, to get married. That's where you got married. You didn't go to a church or a synagogue. You got married in your bride's home. Then, the second stage was this. You left your bride's house, and there was this parade of family and friends going from the bride's house to the groom's house. Well, why were you going to the groom's house? Well, two reasons. One, you're going to live there. And two, that's where the wedding feast is going to be. That's the wedding celebration. So you get married at your bride's house. You're in this big parade with family and friends to the groom's house. And that's the wedding feast. Now, this story that Jesus tells about these ten virgins, they apparently had not been to the wedding, but they were going to be part of the wedding feast. And they were looking forward to that, and they were ready for it to some degree. Here's the reason I say they were somewhat ready for it. Let's look back at the story and walk through it verse by verse. Verse 1, at that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So they were somewhat ready for this, right? They're anticipating this. All ten of them are going out to meet the bridegroom. All ten of them took their oil lamps with them and they're ready for that and they they go out to meet the bridegroom. Now, verses 2 through 4, five of them were foolish and five were wise. Would you just note, even in our English Bible, Which one is listed first, foolish or wise? Foolish. In the Greek text, it's even more evident because in the Greek text, the way it was written that the foolish were listed first to really give emphasis to that. That this is is what we're emphasizing in the story. Those who were foolish. And it is a very strong word that Jesus used. It's the word moros in the Greek New Testament. And it's the same word from which we get our word moron. I'm serious. Jesus said there were five who were morons and there were five who were wise. Now, why were they foolish? Well, let's keep reading. The foolish ones, verse 3, took their lamps, that is, lamps with oil in it, but did not take any extra oil with them. The, The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. And then, look, I like like verse 5. I have to chuckle when I see verse 5. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. If you've ever been to a wedding and you went to the reception, you know how true that is, right? You sit there at the reception waiting and waiting, and, and the bride and the bridegroom are a long time in coming. And they're taking pictures and they're kissing family and they're doing whatever and, and they're changing or what. You don't know. And you don't even know where they are. You don't know when they're going to show up. You just know they're supposed to be at the reception and you're doing what for them? You're waiting for the reception. But you have no idea how long you're going to wait. That was especially true in the Jewish culture. And they didn't have clocks or watches. And if they did have, it wouldn't have meant a whole lot anyway. 
Because that just wasn't very relevant for them. I mean, in the Jewish culture, you got there when you, went, when you got there. It's like, okay, on this day we're going to get married, and we're going to have the wedding, and then eventually we're going to have the parade, and eventually we're going to have the wedding feast. Well, what time? What do you mean, what time? It's going to be after we get done with the wedding, and after we get done with the parade, then we're going to have the wedding. Yeah, but what time will it be? Who knows what time it'll be? We'll get there when we get there. That's the story. Now, read the very next verse. What time did the bridegroom show up? Verse 6. Hmm? Midnight. <laughs> That's a long wedding reception right there. Midnight. Have you ever heard the song Midnight Cry? In the first song, in the first service, Corey sang that song for us today. Did a great job, by the way. He sang Midnight Cry. That song, got the, the author got the idea from this verse. Let's read the verse. Verse 6. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up, trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. Now let me pause for a moment. Why does it matter that you have lamps? Why are these lamps so important to the story? Let me tell you this. There's a difference between City dark and country dark. Would you agree? You know country dark? Country dark is dark. There's no city lights. There's no street lights. There's no, you know, country dark. Especially in Israel. Especially in that day when, you know, when they didn't have electricity in the homes. There's no light. So this lamp is very important. Five of them had extra oil and five of them did not. Of course, this was just a story that Jesus was telling. It was an illustration. But from this story, I want you to see something. Verse 8. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. So here's the first lesson from the parable. I'm going to give you three, and they're going to be kind of brief lessons today. But the first lesson is this. When Jesus comes back, some will not be prepared. That's the reason that Jesus told this story the way He did. Apparently, these ten young women were all invited to the wedding. They were all invited to the festivities, but not all of them made preparations to attend. And in fact, those who did not make preparations to attend, Jesus called them foolish because they assumed that somehow... It would all work out. May I say to you today, flat-footed sir, the most foolish thing you can ever do is to meet Jesus unprepared. The most foolish thing you can ever do, ma'am, is to meet Jesus unprepared. He is coming again. There is no doubt about that. He is coming again. And like the ten virgin bridesmaids, we're waiting. We just don't know when He's going to show up. But He is coming again. And you can plan and prepare for every event in your life. But if you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, then you have neglected the most important decision you could ever make. And you are not prepared for Him coming back. Now here's the second lesson. I told you these are going to go quick. Here's the second lesson. When Jesus comes back, there will be no time for you to get ready. Look at verses 8-10, through how He describes this. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Question, what time of night was it? 
Where are you going to go buy oil at midnight? It's showing the impossibility of doing that. So that's why they're trying to borrow. And they couldn't borrow any. And they couldn't buy any. In this story, Jesus is showing the impossible situation that they were in. And He tells this story to emphasize to all of us that when He returns, there won't be any time to suddenly get ready. You have to be ready before He comes back or you're not ready. Uh, maybe I can help you understand it this way. Years ago when Lisa and I were in college, I met Lisa, my wife, at Carson Newman College. And not long after we met, we started dating. And not long after we started dating, I decided one semester I was going to take guitar lessons as one of my classes. Guess who else decided she was going to take guitar lessons as one of her classes? Now, I took guitar lessons because I wanted to learn how to play the guitar. She took guitar lessons because she wanted to be with me. That's my story. I will say to you in all honesty, I don't think either one of us learned a whole lot in the guitar <laughs> class. But you know what that doggone professor did? At the end of the semester, the final exam was not a written exam. The final exam was bring your guitar to class and play this song. You know what we learned in that course? You don't hurry up and learn guitar. <laughs> You can't get ready in a hurry when it comes to... If you delay that, you can't suddenly get ready. By God's grace and that professor's grace, I think we both got to see in that class. Somehow, by His good, His good grace. I think we both got to see in that class, but I got an A in dating Lisa. I can tell you that. <laughs> but, but you don't suddenly get ready. And Jesus tells us this story to say... When Jesus comes, there will be no time to get ready. Which brings us to the third and the final point today, and that is this. When Jesus comes, there will be no second chances. Now this is the hard part of the message, and I want you to listen carefully. In verse 10, it says, The virgins who were ready went with Him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. I've underlined that in my Bible. And the door was shut. This is an alarming part of the story. There came a time when the opportunity was passed. And the door was shut. There's an awful finality about those words. It means that the door was shut and it was locked and it would not be opened again. Reminds me so much of the days of Noah. Noah pleading with people to come into the ark. Pleading with people to come into the ark. And then there was a day when the Bible says, God shut the door. And the opportunity was passed. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a door that leads to heaven. And that door has a name. And His name is Jesus. And Jesus Himself said in John 10.9, I am the door, and whoever enters through Me will be saved. And praise the Lord, for 2,000 years, that door has stood open by the grace of God. For 2,000 years, that door has been open to the entire world. For 2,000 years, that door has stood open every single day. And over the door are written these wonderful words, Whosoever will may come. 
And that means that anyone, anywhere, anytime can go into that door and find new life and salvation and forgiveness and eternal life. The door is open. Today, the door stands open. But, our text reminds us, the door will not be open forever. Jesus uses this parable of the ten virgins to remind us that one day the door will be shut once and for all. And the door was shut, verse 10. And I want you to see the bridegroom's response. Because his response was terse and final. Verse 11. Later, the others, the foolish ones, the ones that were unprepared, later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth. I don't know you. This clearly shows us that not every person who professes to be a Christian is going to go into heaven. Some really have not trusted Christ sincerely. And those are represented in the five who are not prepared. And I want you to notice these words that are so interesting in verse 12. He replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. If that sounds familiar to you at all, it's because Jesus has already said that once before in the Gospel of Matthew. In chapter 7, if you would go back there for just a moment. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. Chapter 25, verse 12. But he replied, I tell you the truth. I don't know you. Now listen carefully. Please listen to me. We talk a lot about knowing God and knowing Jesus. Baptists, we talk a lot about that. Do you know God? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? And, and rightly so. That's all well and good. And we should ask those questions. We should have those conversations. Do you know Jesus? But the Bible also talks about God and Jesus knowing you. There's a difference. See, at the last day, the question will not be so much, do you know Jesus? But the question will be, does Jesus know you? Does Jesus know you as one of His people? Does He know you as someone who has put your faith in Him as Savior? Does He know you as one of His children? Does He know you is the real question. And you can plead like these ladies did and plead and plead. Please open the door. Please give us another chance. Please let us in. And Jesus said, but the, the bridegroom will say, I don't know you. It's interesting, all ten of the bridesmaids were invited to the festivities, but not all of them made it in. You see, not everyone who's invited to heaven is going to make it in. In fact, in this story at least, 50% of the people who were invited were not ready. They represent those who really don't have a relationship with Jesus and they're not prepared, they're not personally prepared for the return of Jesus Christ. 
Now, I don't want to make too much of that number 50%, but I want you to think about that number with me for a moment. Jesus, as he tells the story, because it's his story, he could have used any percentage he wanted to. He could have talked about 25% were not ready, or 10% were not ready, uh, 15% were not prepared. He could have used any percentage he wanted to, and Jesus used the percentage of 50% of the people who were invited were not prepared. Why 50%? I think Jesus is saying that a lot of people who think they are Christians are tragically mistaken. Take a lot of people in the church who think they are Christians are tragically mistaken. Quite frankly, I'm worried that some of you might be in the 50%. I'm not trying to scare you into heaven. I'm just trying to teach you the Scripture. You see, I just want you to examine your heart and examine your life. Are you prepared for the return of Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you ready if He were to come back? You see, the question is not, is Jesus coming back? The question is, are you ready for it? You see, this really is a story about heaven and hell. This really is a story about spending eternity with heaven, or in heaven with Jesus or being locked out, the door closed, and spending eternity separated from Him in hell. And then Jesus closes this parable with a warning in verse 13. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Here's the warning. Therefore, keep watch. And the word keep watch there doesn't mean that you go to the top of the mountain and you're always looking up and wondering if today's the day. That's not what it's talking about. It simply means to be alert and to be ready. With the emphasis on be ready. And you have to ask yourself the question, why would Jesus tell this parable in His final days? In His final week, a mere two or three days before His crucifixion, why was this parable occupying space in his mind? Why did he use this opportunity in his last days to tell us about the last days? Ladies and gentlemen, he was confronting the lie that you've got plenty of time to get right with God. He was confronting the lie that you've got plenty of time to get right with God. And he tells this story to confront the lie that everybody's going to make it to heaven. In his last days, he wanted you to know, and he wanted me to know, he wanted all of us to know, he is coming back, and you better be ready for it. So he confronts the lie that everybody's going to make it to heaven, and he, he confronts the lie that you've got plenty of time to get right with God. Jesus shared this parable because he knows we're all going to meet him one day. Now listen to me, I don't know when he's coming back, but listen, 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 listen. You will meet Jesus Christ. Every person here. Every person watching online. You will meet Jesus Christ. You will either meet Him at the end of your life. Or you will meet Him at the end of the ages. But you will meet Him. The question is. Will you be ready to meet Him? And the way you get prepared for that meeting. Is here and now. Now is the time of salvation. Now is the day.
of salvation, the Bible says. So I want to ask you to bow your heads for a moment. As we deal with this issue together, I'm just ask you one very simple but very important question. Are you prepared for the return of Jesus Christ? One of the last parables Jesus ever taught was this parable to say, you don't know the day or the hour of His return, but you need to be prepared for it. So are you prepared for the return of Jesus? And you can get prepared right here, right now. Pastor, how do I do that? The Bible says that you must admit that you are a sinner. Just admit to God, yes, I know that I'm a sinner. You must believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins. Believing that He died on the cross for your sins, would you then accept the forgiveness He offers you by faith? By faith, you're saying, God, I believe you died in my place for my sin, and by faith, I accept your forgiveness. I accept that what you did on the cross, you did for me. And today, I ask you to come into my life and be my Savior. And and what you're doing there is, the center of your life becomes Jesus. And from this day forward, you're living for Him rather than living for yourself. Committing your life to Him because he He gave His life for you. Jesus said, those that are prepared will enter the wedding. Those that are not prepared will be locked out. The door will be shut. And many will be shut out. So today I'm asking you, are you ready? Are you prepared? And if not, would you come today? As soon as we stand, you just step out and and let me introduce you to Jesus. Father, in the name that is above every name, thank you for the mercy and the grace you offer every one of us through the death of Christ. And I pray that today, if somebody here, somebody online, they don't know you as Savior, may this be the day of salvation for them. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.